Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Think of this for a moment. The eyes of God are upon you. One reason is so significant for us and important for us to turn our eyes upon Him is because His eyes are upon us. In Bible Hour, we've been learning from the history Ezra recorded of Zerubbabel and Joshua and the task, the work of building the temple. They lost focus of their God when they were discouraged by adversaries, when their hands were weakened. God raised up prophets who called them, really, in a way, to turn their eyes upon God with this truth. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with me. His eyes are upon us. In Ezra chapter 5 and verse 5, it says that they had begun to rise up and work, and then it says that the eye of the Lord was upon the elders of Judah, so much so that their adversaries could not cause them to cease from the work that God had for them. I'd like for us to latch in on that little phrase, the eyes of the Lord were upon them. It's not unique to the days of Zerubbabel, Joshua, Haggai, and Zechariah. It's still true today. In 1 Peter, it was identified as a truth, this New Testament letter written by the Apostle Peter. In chapter 3 and verse 12 of 1 Peter, it says, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto all their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. What Peter is actually doing here in 1 Peter chapter 3 is he's actually preaching a sermon expanded upon an Old Testament psalm. Do you know good preaching is preaching from the Bible? Otherwise, it's just a lot of opinions. Good preaching has to come from the Bible, and that was even true for the apostles in they setting us an example. It comes from, actually, the truths recorded in Psalm 34. So you see, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the time in which we live, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. It should cause us to turn our eyes to Him. One way is by praying. Another way is how we live. Do you ever feel invisible? Do you ever fear, feel that nobody sees you? Nobody knows you? Well, let me, I'll let you in on a little secret that's not so secret. God sees you, and God knows you. And God is working in your life, and you have a part in how he works. And we're going to learn about that a little bit today from Psalm 34. Before we dig in, would you join me in seeking the Lord that he may teach us? Great God, we thank you for giving to us your word, inspired throughout many generations, preserved in every generation and even to our own. 
we thank you for the truth we find. Today, we turn our eyes upon you, acknowledging that your eyes are upon us. I pray that we would consider our relationship with you, and that as we consider how you work in our lives, we would fear you. We would hope in you. We would know you. We would trust you. And we would let you guide us with your eye. Dear Spirit of God, open our minds and hearts. May we know the truth, understand it, and more importantly, obey it and live it. Change us, dear God. Change us to be more like you, Lord Jesus. May we have your eyes to see, and may we trust and hope in you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. There are three truths I'd like to look at this morning. The first one is this. God sees you. God sees you. The second point is, this fact should make a difference in how we live. God sees you. Because he sees you, it should change how I live. And then the last question I'd like for us to consider today is, how do we see? How do we see? The first truth is God sees you. God sees you. Would you look with me back to Psalm 34? Psalm 34. This is the psalm that Peter quoted long, long time ago. And it is a psalm of David that, psalm that the Holy Spirit inspired him to write. It deals with how God interacts with people. The first truth is God sees you. God sees me. And what is our relationship with him? Psalm 34, verse 15 declares, The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of all of them. He keepeth all his bones, and not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. I have a question for you. Are you righteous? If we look down through this passage, we'll see that reference to the righteous repeatedly. So what does it mean to be righteous? You see here, God sees both the righteous and those who do evil. And he interacts with them in different ways. God sees everyone. And here, the eye upon him is an eye of care, provision for the righteous. 
And it says the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. So are you righteous? Sometimes people mistakenly think that to be righteous is to not do evil. You know, that's not really the truth. You see, we do see that those who do evil, the face of the Lord is against, even to cutting them off. But being righteous is not one who does not do evil. In fact, this may surprise you, but there are righteous people who do evil. They shouldn't, but they do. So who is a righteous person? What is a righteous person? This is explained most beautifully in the New Testament. If you turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Because let me be perfectly blunt with you. Me, in and of myself, is not righteous. I am an unclean thing. That fact is repeated in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. We find that all have sinned. There is none righteous. No, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. And I could continue to read from Romans chapter 3 a description of us. And so if we consider that description and we consider this truth, as it is written, there is none righteous, how then can the eye of the Lord be upon the righteous if there is none righteous? The question is answered there where you've turned in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in verse 21. where it says, For God, for He, that is God, hath made Him, that is Jesus, the eternal Son of God, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. You see, the truth is, there's none righteous. I'm not righteous, you're not righteous. There has never been anyone righteous or ever will be anyone righteous except one. And that one is Jesus. Jesus is the only righteous one. So you may be sitting there thinking, wait a minute, preacher, then what about all the verses talking about the righteous? Well, the secret's in this verse we've just read. You are made righteous, or the righteousness of God is on you. How's that happen? Well, look at the last two words of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. 
Those last two words, in him. In who? In Jesus. You see, none of us are righteous. None of us can save ourselves. None of us can do any good works to be accepted in God's sight. As Christopher shared this morning in holiness, it is our sins that separate us from him. Sin separates us. There, for nothing sinful can be in his presence. But when we are in Jesus, then we are in his righteousness. We receive the righteousness of God. You see, everyone who realizes that they are a sinner accepts that reality, in fact, and sees themselves as God sees them, as an unclean thing and not righteous. When we realize our true state and we humble ourselves before God, the fact that Jesus was made sin for us is his righteousness then applied to us. We are in Christ in that moment. When we receive the Lord Jesus Christ, when we believe on him, when we are saved, when we become a Christian, we are in Christ, in him. We are a part of him. In fact, all of us are dead in our of ourselves. Our old man is dead, and yet we live our lives in Christ. We are in Christ, and we have the righteousness of God. And so then when God sees us, he sees us as righteous. He can accept us. He will hear our cry. He will hear our prayers. Are you righteous? Have you acknowledged that you are a sinner before God? Do you see yourself as God sees you? Well, without Jesus, you're in serious trouble. If you have seen yourself and you've humbled yourself before God and received Jesus, now when you see yourself, you will see yourself as one who is righteous. Not because of yourself. I don't claim any righteousness. I claim the righteousness of Jesus. If I truly see myself as a Christian as God sees me, I will see me as righteous because Jesus has clothed me with his righteousness and because I am in Jesus. So you see, as we consider this question, does God see me? We ask this question. Does he see me as righteous or unrighteous? If when he sees us, he sees us in Jesus, he sees us as righteous. If he sees us and we're not in Jesus, we are as an unclean thing. In order for us to receive the righteousness of Jesus, we need to truly see ourselves as we see as we really are. And that should change us. Because then, if we turn back to Psalm chapter 34, and we read this, as is also quoted in 1 Peter, that the eye of the Lord is upon the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. When we come before God, do we come before him as though we're some good person whom God owes something to? Or do we come before him as a blood-bought sinner made righteous by the righteousness of Jesus? Every day we need to see ourselves as God sees us in the righteousness of Jesus, not ourselves. 
you know, that is what will keep us turning our eyes to Jesus. You know what oftentimes keeps us from turning our eyes to Jesus? Two things. You know what the first is? Our righteousness. You say, huh? Yeah. The first thing that will keep us from turning our eyes to Jesus and continuing to behold him is our righteousness. What's that? Well, our view that we're okay, that I'm okay, that I'm doing good, I'm okay. That will hinder our relationship with God because the truth is our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And if we begin to view ourselves as righteous in anything other than in Christ, we're in trouble. We're in trouble, and it will keep us from turning our eyes upon Jesus. It will keep us from that, and we can't be kept from it. And the other thing that will keep us from turning our eyes upon Jesus is our sin. Really? The two things that keep us is our righteousness and our sin. Yeah. When we want to continue and continue living in our own way, ignoring the fact that God sees us, ignoring the fact that he's watching us, we continue to just keep on living our own way in sin. Both our righteousnesses and our sin will both keep us, blind us from seeing God but we need to see him every day. We need him. Without him, we can do nothing. And in those times when we allow our own self-righteousness and our own sin to blind us as we go our way, I mean, just imagine that. Just me trying to walk through this room, if I were to be blinded, what would it go? I'd stumble, I'd fall, I'd be in serious problems. It would be as if the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. I'm doing evil. You see, have you ever met someone who was in Christ? That means a Christian who still did wrong things? That's not right, is it? But it's a reality. The problem is, is that when we do wrong things, when I do wrong things, it's because I'm either blinded by my self-righteousness or I'm blinded by my sin and I'm not relying on Jesus. And in those moments, I am doing evil. Even if it's just the minor little omissions or sins, it's still evil. And the face of the Lord is against me. I can expect to be tripping over stuff. I can expect to be stumbling and fall. fall. Because I am blinded, I cannot see. And on that, God for those who are not righteous, he is actually engaging with them in punishment. And for those who are in Jesus, he's engaging with us as children in disciplining us, in teaching us, and in training us. How many times do we, in self-righteousness, blind ourselves, and in our selfish sin, blind ourselves, and we trip and we stumble, and instead of looking to Jesus, we continue to just look to our self-righteousness? or justify or rationalize our sin, when in that very moment, we need to confess our sins and look to God. Look to Jesus. 
for in him we're righteous. We see that we have no righteousness, and the righteousness that we do have is only because we are in Jesus. And God watches over us. Now, there's some trouble here that some have. If you look here in my Bible, it's interesting how the pages fell together. I've got Psalm 32, Psalm 32, Psalm 33, and Psalm 34 all on the same spread. You know, the word I appears in all three of these chapters in an interesting way. We've been looking at chapter 34 where we see the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open unto their cry. And the face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. A very similar truth is presented over in chapter 33, where there it declares, Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him and upon them that hope in his mercy. You see, there is another declaration of those who are in Christ. This is an Old Testament description of being in Christ. The Old Testament description of being in Christ is to fear God. That's to have a reverence and an awe for him, knowing that in him he holds the power over our life and soul and to give him due respect and honor, trust, which results in a hope in his mercy, for he has offered mercy and do we hope and rest in it. Here is a description. Fearing God and hoping in his mercy is the Old Testament description of what it is for us to believe in Jesus and to be in Jesus. His eye is upon such people. Now, it's interesting because it goes on in verse 19, and it says, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Have you ever known one who was in Christ to die? Well, I, yes, but no. One who is in Christ never really dies. He just moves. He just moves. He moves to heaven. We read some things earlier here of those who are in trouble, he delivers them. We have a particular prophecy here of Jesus Christ that was literally fulfilled in chapter 34, verse 20, where it says, He keepeth all his bones, and not one of them is broken. That was fulfilled in the only righteous one. Now let me ask, do righteous people still get their bones broken? They do. They do. So is God breaking his promises? Well, here, this is a particular promise of God. But it has us have to stop in those times when we have experienced pain or trouble or famine. And what do we do in those moments? Do we look to our self-righteousness? Do we justify our sin? Or do we look to Jesus? Do we look to him? If there's sin to confess, do we confess it? Do we hope in his mercy? Do we look to him and say, it's your righteousness? Lord Jesus, you're the only one these promises could be guaranteed absolutely to. And in my frailty, I am weak and I stumble and fall. And I trust you that no matter what I have to endure in this life, my soul is delivered from death. You see, 
is not so much as to what happens to us physically, but in what is in real for an eternal perspective. There are those who will destroy this body, Jesus said, but they cannot destroy the soul. What was the point of what Jesus had said in all of this? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Turn your eyes to the one who beholds you, who sees you. In that moment, look to him. Is he chastening you as a Christian? Is he punishing you as an unbeliever? Is he molding and shaping you as his child? Acknowledging that there are those who will destroy the body, but they won't destroy the soul. You see, in that moment, do we look to Jesus? The whole point for us is to cry to him, knowing that he is sovereign and that he sees all. Knowing he's there with us, even though we may have troubles. Are the troubles of our own making? Confess them. Forsake them. Are the troubles because God is disciplining us? Again, confess, forsake sin. Are the troubles because God is refining us? In that moment, rejoice in the righteousness of Jesus and hope in God. Cry out to him and know that he hears you. He may not answer you the way that you want to be answered, but he will hear you. His eye is upon the righteous. Are you in Jesus and are you walking in him? Let us consider that truth today. I debate continuing on here because really it's a whole nother sermon. We speak of how God sees us and of how we see God. But I submit to you another question. How do you see others? How do you see others? God sees you. You see God. What's your relationship with him? You see others just as God sees others. What is your relationship with them? I think I'm best here to give you a bit of homework. Let me give you some references of significance relating to this question, and could you write them down? Philippians chapter 2 and verse 4. I'll read it to you so your mind can begin to think on it. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. It continues all the way down through there to verse 11. Philippians chapter 2, verse 4 through 11. How do you see things? Then also, Matthew chapter 9, verses 36 through 37. But when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. He saw the multitudes and was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers 
into his harvest. You know, he's really asking us to see people like he sees people. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 through 37. And then Matthew chapter 14, same gospel, later time. It tells us that Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude. He again sees, he sees, and what does he do when he sees? He was moved with compassion toward them. He again had compassion, and he healed their sick. Over in Mark, it speaks that when he saw them, he sat down and he taught them. I encourage you that as you reflect and consider this day and this week on the fact that God sees you, it will impact your relationship with God. First and foremost, are you righteous? Are you in Jesus? Are you a Christian? And secondly, do you continue in evil because you've turned your eyes away from Jesus and onto your own selfish desires, lusts, sins, or self-righteousness? Confess it. Turn your eyes on Jesus, receive forgiveness, and go forward doing righteousness in his power and strength. And as you're going forth, how do you see? You have eyes. I have eyes. We see people. How do we see them? Jesus saw the multitudes, and he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. And what was his request of those disciples when he did it? Pray that laborers would go forth into this harvest field. Are we seeing people as Jesus saw them with compassion? And are we those laborers? We need to be praying for the laborers and um, be ready ourselves to be the laborer, seeing people with compassion. Not only for their souls, but then did you see how when Jesus saw them, they were sick and he healed them? Do we see people and do we help them? Do we see people as Jesus sees them? Do we follow the command in Philippians to look not every man on his own things? For you see what that is? That's an evil eye that looks upon his own things and only takes care of himself. Do we look not every man on his own things, but also on the things of others? And then when we see it, and we see others and their state. Do we have our own selfish mind of self-righteousness or sinfulness that will result in an evil eye and show no compassion? Or do we respond with compassion and seek to show love? Which leads us back to Psalm, those three Psalms together, Psalm 32, where God says that he will instruct us and he will teach us in the way that we should go. And he will guide us with his eye. Do we allow ourselves to be guided by the eye of God? The only way that's going to happen is if we're turning our eyes to Jesus and we let his mind be in us to see others, to be able to help others. Because you know the alternative is, which we're commanded not to be in the very next verse. 
Psalm 32, 8 tells us that we are to let God instruct us and teach us in the way that we should go and let him guide us with his eye and to be not, verse 9, as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding. It's kind of an insult, isn't it? If we are acting like that, we deserve to be called a horse or a mule that have no understanding. But when we are turning our eyes to Jesus and see ourselves in him and see what he wants us to be seeing, then we have understanding. But boy, will there be trouble when we have to have a bit put in our mouths and be pulled about in a bridle to be able to be shown through life. That's not the desire that God has for us. When we turn our eyes upon him and then when we know that his eyes are upon us, and we're watching his eyes, and as he is directing us with his eyes, are we following and are we guiding? Being guided by his spirit who lives inside of us. There's the key. It's all about how do we see ourselves and how do we see our God? And are we going forth with the mind of Christ in our minds? Are you righteous? Do you have the mind of Christ? Are you in Christ? Today, these questions you need to answer. And I beg you, turn your eyes upon him. Would you take just a few moments to talk to your friend in prayer? What a friend we have in Jesus, we sang earlier. Will you pray to him? And on yourself, answer these questions and meditate and ask God to help you see as he sees.